Hey everyone, welcome back to Pretending with Dice. As always, I'm your host and game master, AJ. Welcome to the second part, second episode of our Star Wars Saga Edition RPG storyline that we're calling Tempest Squadron. Uh, first things first, I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing supporting voice cast for this episode, who did an awesome job and were super generous with all their time. So thanks to Nikolai, Amy, Matt, Jason, and uh, Matt number two. <laughs> I also want to say a huge thank you to all of you who tuned in last time to hear the first part of the story, uh, and thanks as well to those of you who were kind enough to share the episode online, and for all of the nice comments that we received, uh, it really makes the whole thing worthwhile. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd definitely recommend it. Uh, all of our main characters and cast performers get introduced, and it really sets the stage for what's to come. Uh, so yeah, right then, let's recap what happened last time. Following the battles at Scarif and Yavin, the Rebel Alliance was victorious, but badly in need of replacement equipment and was also being forced to abandon their base on the moon of Yavin 4. Klein, an old Iranian ex-smuggler, was assigned as flight crew to the freighter Close Encounter, captained by a very nervous Duro named Doljay. Uh, thanks to some engine problems, they were delayed in leaving and when the Imperial fleet arrived, were still making their escape, and they came under attack from some TIE fighters. Nock, an Ugnaught pilot and droid expert, successfully completed a heist of a shipment of astromech droids from the Imperial world of Nubia, although his partner Kane died during the mission. And finally, Cortez, a Corellian pilot, was on patrol in the Avin system when the Imperial fleet arrived, with the talkative Sullustan pilot Vardaster flying with him. Uh, with the Imperials making for the moon, they hurried to fly cover for any fleeing ships still in the system. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's begin today's episode. As the last of the straggling transports lifts off from the landing field in front of the Great Temple on Yavin 4, the menacing arrowhead shapes of the approaching Imperial Star Destroyers are clearly visible in the sky, silhouetted against the orange mass of the gas giant Yavin itself. A solitary U-Wing fighter transport, its engines already running, is the final ship on the ground. Equipment and crates still litter the now former Rebel headquarters, some of it too large to be evacuated at such short notice, some of it simply left behind in the rush to escape their Imperial pursuers. Hope you guys are nearly done with that computer core. We're about to have some hostile company joining us. The wipe is at 50%. I need another 10 minutes. Blow it if you have to. I'm picking up landing craft on my scanners. Acknowledged. The Imperials couldn't have taken just a little longer to get here? No one ever takes a scenic route anymore. We'll never get this wipe done. Hand me those charges. 
few minutes later, with Stormtrooper blaster bolts flying past the cockpit canopy, the U-Wing blasts off. The last living rebel presence on the moon, their job done, with the base's computer core a slagged smoking wreck. They leave the temple complex far below them, spiralling upwards and out of the atmosphere, hitting maximum speed, and hoping against hope that they can outrun the waves of TIE fighters beginning to swarm all over the system, harrying the last fleeing rebel transports. In space, high above the moon, as the motley fleet carrying the last Alliance personnel to leave makes its desperate dash towards their hyperspace jump point, the first waves of TIE fighters are beginning their attack runs. Rushing to join the fight are a mismatched pair of Rebel fighter craft, an X-Wing and a modified Scout Y-Wing, flown by the Sullustan, Vard Astur, and the human Cortez, respectively. That's a lot of contacts out there, Cortez. You ready for this? As ready as I'm gonna be. Locking S-Files in attack position. Up ahead, you see a small Corellian transport under fire from a flight of four TIE fighters. They are shooting back sporadically as they follow a course directly for the hyperspace jump point outside of Yavin's gravity well. Uh, R2, that looks like one of our transports under attack. The information quickly appears on your screen as R2NO sends a sensor ping to the fleeing ship, confirming that the transport is the YT-1250 freighter Close Encounter. As you watch, one of the pursuing ties is hit by a laser blast from the Close Encounter's turret and goes spinning off into space. Let's see if we can give them a bit more breathing room, huh? You got it, Vad. Arming weapons. Alright, as both you, Cortez, and your Y-Wing, and you, Klein, aboard the Close Encounter, are now involved in a combat engagement, let's roll some initiative. Okay. Very well. Five. Uh, plus four, nine. Seven plus eleven. Seven plus eleven gives you eighteen. Uh, all right, I'm going to roll for Vard and the ties. To simplify things a little, we're not going to bother rolling initiative for Dol J flying the close encounter. Uh, let's just say that he's flying to the best of his ability and heading for the jump point coordinates while trying to be as evasive as possible to the pursuing tie fighters. All right, Vard has a twenty-one initiative. First tie has thirteen. Second tie has initiative of twenty-two. And the final TIE also has an initiative of 22. Okay, so two of the TIE fighters are a little bit quicker on the trigger than uh, everybody else involved. So they are going to continue to fire on the freighter. Uh, so I will make those attack rolls. So first one rolled an 11 plus 6, which beats the reflex defense of 12 that the freighter has. So that is definitely a hit. Rolling damage, that's a 7 and 14, so that's 21 times 2 gives 42. Uh, the close encounter shields are still holding, so that reduces the damage by 10 to 32. Uh, the general armor plating of the ship's hull also reduces that by another 10 to 22. So the close encounter is rocked by 22 points of damage from the attacking TIE fighter's dual laser cannons. Uh, so that's the first one. Let's roll for the second one, firing also at the close encounter. So I rolled a 7, uh, plus 6 gives a total of 13, so that just hits the close encounter. Uh, not a lot of maneuverability in this freighter, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. 6 and a 2 is 8, and a 10 and a 6 is 16, so that is 24. Uh, times 2 gives us 48. Again, with the shields and armor, that's reduced down to 28 damage, but... The ship bucks violently at this attack, and even down uh, where you are in the ventral gun port, you can smell the scent of burning. Well, that can't be good. Our shields are down! Shoot back! Shoot back! I'm trying! Alright, up next in the combat order is Vard, uh, rocketing ahead of you, Cortez, in his uh, much faster moving X-Wing. 
Here goes nothing. Do it. And he is going to fire at one of the TIE Fighters. Getting uh, 22 to hit, neatly beating the 15 reflex defense of the TIE Fighter. Uh, rolling damage. 7 and a 6, that's 13. 10 and a 4 is 14, so 27. And uh, 9 and a 6, 15, giving a total of 42, uh, which we double to give 84 points of damage. Uh, X-Wings hit hard, and they hit fast. Uh, that first TIE Fighter just evaporates into a cloud of expanding gas and debris under Vard's assault. Scratch one! Nice. Great shooting. I always liked you, Vard. Okay, we are round to you, Klein. Right. Still two ties remaining, bearing down on the unshielded close encounter. Okay. I will take. I will aim at the whichever one is behind. Whichever one is behind in the group. Uh, do I need to retarget at this point? Because um, fighters have now got more targets to worry about. Uh, yes, the tie that you were previously targeting was just shot down by Vard. Uh, make a use computer check for me. <laughs> that is a sixteen. Plus five. So, 21. Yeah, you have no trouble locking onto another target. Uh, make an attack roll for me to see if you can hit the tie with your laser cannon. That's a 12. Uh, just a plus two on that, as the close encounter isn't exactly a warship. So that's 14 to hit. I'm afraid that doesn't quite hit. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, this uh, tie pilot is obviously a little bit too manoeuvrable for you at the moment. Yeah. Of course, the swivel in that chair is really... Yeah, they really... It takes are, it out of your They need aim. to get the gyro sorted out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, we are round to that TIE fighter now. Who, upon seeing one of his wingmates destroyed by the oncoming rebel fighters, has the wherewithal to break off his attack run on the close encounter and swing to face the new attackers. Uh, he is going to fire at the slower of the targets, you, Cortez, in your long probe uh, Y-wing. <laughs> That's an 18 to hit on the Y-Wing, and the Y-Wing's reflex defense is 16, so you do take a hit there. Ah, are you okay, R2? <laughs> so, rolling damage, we have 24 uh, multiplied by 2, giving 48 points of damage. Uh, your Y-Wing has a shield resistance of 10, along with a general damage resistance of another 10, so that drops you down to taking 28 points of damage from the attack. R2, try and boost the shield power. Okay, so we are now round to Cortez in his Y-Wing. Uh, let's open comms to the freighter. Can uh, we do that? Yeah, you can do that. It, it will kind of be instead of firing, but... Um, it's up to can you. I do it on the side? Uh, okay, I'll, I mean, I'll allow it, but here's the catch. If you do that, you'll have to reduce your attack modifier um, to, by half, I think. So I could have full health if I don't talk to him. Well, I'll talk to him later. If you survive. If I survive. If both of you survive. I mean, you can still do it. It'll just reduce your plus nine attack modifier to just a plus four. Okay, well, I'll, I'll put aside contact with them just yet as we are in the middle of the fight and then yep. just get on with the shooting. Okay, uh, which tie are you firing at? Uh, one is bearing down on you and one is still making an attack on the fleeing freighter. Uh, which one's closest to me? Uh, the one flying towards you is uh, definitely closer. Okay, well, let's go for the one that fired at me. Cause yeah, because you're not happy about it. Well, I mean, Tyler seem to fire only in the direction they're heading, so... Yeah, alright. Let's, let's do that. Sure, okay. Uh, make an attack roll and add 9 to it. 12. 12. Uh, so well. yeah, you miss, I'm afraid. Uh, 15 needed to hit those fast-moving TIE Fighters. Uh, better luck next turn. So, we are back round to the top TIE, which is going to continue its attacks on the close encounter. Okay. That's a 10, uh, plus a 6, which beats the 12 I needed to hit. 
uh, I'm afraid. Uh, rolling damage. 10 plus 12 gives 22, doubled again to 44. Uh, this time around, however, your shields are definitely down, so we're only reducing that damage down to 34 points of damage total. You're really tr starting to feel the, the hits as the ship takes them. I can feel it. Yeah. In fact, with that last hit, you are briefly showered with sparks falling down the access way to the turret, one of them landing on your exposed hand, uh, burning you uh, slightly. Uh, Duljay uh, cuts in over the intercom again at this point, sounding incredibly panicked. This isn't good! This isn't good at all! The hyperdrive is offline! If we can't escape and get it fixed, we're done for! At uh, this point, uh, Vard is uh, looping round and dropping in behind that other tie, uh, taking a shot at it. Go Vard! That is... That's uh, 26 to hit, so his shots were accurate yet again. Uh, quickly rolling some damage for him then. We have 12, 11, and finally 10. So that's 33 points, doubled up to 66. So Vard's quad laser cannon shots uh, converge on the TIE Fighter just as it's about to try and roll away from him, uh, blowing both of his wings off while the uh, remaining ball cockpit continues flying through space. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just tumbling end over end and not really a threat to anyone. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, it's your turn, Klein. Right. I am going to attack the fighter. Should I target it? Uh, it's the same one. You just missed it last uh, time, so you're still targeted. Okay, so I'm, Klein is going to take another shot at the tie. Yep. Uh, that is a six plus two eights. That is a miss, I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah. As always, uh, 15 needed to hit the ties. Okay, we are round to that tie's turn, which is still very much bearing down on Cortez in his Y-Wing. That is not going to hit with a 10. Um, so we are now onto Cortez real quick. He is, uh, he's just closing it. He's very close to you sort of drawing level with him. Yeah. Okay, um, let's take another firing shot at the... Yeah, go for it. It's a 10 plus... Plus, oh, you got plus 9 on the Y-Wing as well. So yeah, that is a hit. So roll 4d10 damage for me. 4d10. 1 and 4. 1 and 4, so 5. 3 and 4. 3 and 4. So that's 12 base damage, doubled up to 24. The tie has a 10 point damage resistance, so you do a total of 14 points of damage to him. So you hit him, but it's, it's very much more of a glancing hit on him, and he keeps on flying. Damn Yeah. Okay, so we're back round to Vard. I know. Um, Vard going for his third kill. Vard <laughs> doing a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> yeah. in this firefight. Well, to be fair, like, he's, the, he's the one in a fighter. You're kind of yeah. in like a repurposed bomber as a scout. I never liked the Y-Wing. Yeah, you're a bit slow and you do I less damage and you, you're kind of souped up for scout work rather than uh, shooting yeah, work. Scout work. Really. Uh, Vard misses his shot, however. I rolled a three, giving a ten total. Ah, uh, stay still. This is what happens when you talk. Okay, we are back round to climb. Okay, firing on the tie again. 16. Plus 2, that's Plus 18, that's a hit. Nice. So you do 4d10 times 2 damage, uh, so go ahead and roll that for me. So we have 8 and 1, and 3 and a 10. So 13 plus 9 gives 22. Uh, we double that up to 44. So with damage resistance, that's 34 points of damage to the tie. Uh, so once again, you've hit its damage threshold. So I'm going to rule that your hit sent him spiraling out of control 
careening off into space and away from the conflict. Beautiful. And you are all uh, out of combat at the moment, but Beautiful. Oh. there are a lot more ties in the area and you are not quite at the um, rendezvous point. Uh, Dol J's voice comes over the intercom again. We're lucky those fighters came along or we'd have been dead meat. We still could be dead meat. There's more of them out there. Well, we're in the clear for now, at least. Get up here and help me put out some of these fires. We need to get our hyperdrive working if we're ever going to escape this system. Okay, on my way. As you uh, climb back up the access ladder and onto the ship's main deck, you realise just how bad the damage must be. Uh, There's a lot of smoke hanging in the air, and uh, making your way around the corridor, you see one of the two security officers who were travelling with you is in the process of spraying down his arm with a back to salve, as the other one struggles to put out an electrical fire that seems to have started in one of the wall panels. Can I get a... I guess this would be a mechanics check to see if you can make any repairs. 13 plus 10. 13 plus 10, 23, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're quickly able to kind of put out uh, the remaining fires on the on the, um, on the the main deck and that, and uh, that's uh, obviously going to be a big help when it comes to getting the hyperdrive working again so you can escape the system. So with that in mind, you head forward to join Doljay in the cockpit. Cortez, you uh, quickly, um, you and Vard come around and sort of drop into an escort formation around uh, this uh, our limping freighter. Um, a quick look at your sensors shows that there are uh, another eight TIE fighters inbound. Open comms with the freighter now? Sure, yeah. There's a brief pause before the comms kick in and you hear... This is the freighter Close Encounter. Uh, thank you so much for your assistance. We would have been done for back there. Hey Close Encounter, this is Cortez in Long Probe 1. What's your situation? Uh, not good, I'm afraid. Our shields are down and our hyperdrive has sustained damage. Any cover that you could provide us would be most helpful. Uh, will do. We're not out of this yet. We've got eight more ties inbound. Eight more. Well, we will endeavor to hurry and get our hyperdrive up and running again. Okay, hold your current course. We'll try and keep them off you. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, these odds with these TIE fighters are, you know, you're, you're putting on a brave face, but you, you know this is, this is going to be a tough fight. Yeah. Checking your sensors, you see that your flight is only seconds away from the jump point, uh, but you can't leave this transport here to be destroyed or captured by the Empire. Uh, the seconds count down as the next wave of pursuing TIE fighters draw even closer. Klein, as you enter the cockpit, Dolje turns to you. Ah, good. I need you to take the controls while I go and take a look at the hyperdrive. Good luck. It's a mess back there. I've spoken to those fighters who are escorting us, and they are going to give us all the cover they can. Well, that's something at least. Dolje leaves you in the cockpit, and it is now that you get your first real look at the ship's full status readouts, and things really aren't looking good. The engines are only operating at about 30% thrust, and a red warning light is flashing over the hyperdrive status indicator. In fact, the control boards are covered in an angry red forest of red warning lights. It's a miracle that the ship held together under the TIE's assault so far. One thing that is working, however, is the ship's sensors, and they clearly show the incoming second wave of TIE's, double what you faced before, with even more on the way. That cannot be good. As you are studying the sensor readouts, however, the display flashes suddenly, and a chiming sound announces new contacts appearing on scope. Oh great, more trouble. Dolje, we got incoming. I know, I know, there's more TIE fighters out there. No, 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 this is something new. Looking up and out of the forward viewport, however, you are filled with intense relief as you see what the new contacts are. Dropping out of hyperspace almost directly in your path is a huge Mon Calamari cruiser, 
along with three smaller Corellian CR90 Corvettes and a Nebulon B frigate. Cortez, in your Y-Wing, as these ships drop out of hyperspace, R2NO lets out a triumphant series of beeps and begins listing the transponder information for the new arrivals on your screen. They are the Cruiser Defiance, the Frigate Redemption, and the Corvettes Crescent, Agitator, and Libra. R2, put me through to that cruiser. This is Defiance Flight Control. Please identify. Defiance Flight Control, this is Long Probe 1. We have a transport with a non-functional hyperdrive requesting emergency landing clearance. Granted, Long Probe 1. Be aware, Viper Squadron A-Wings will be launching from the starboard hangar as you make your approach. Fly safe. You click your comms back over to the Close Encounter. Close Encounter, Cortez here. Follow us in. We're going to land on that cruiser and watch out for launching fighters. Got it, Long Probe 1. Beginning approach. Well, this should be different. The Y-Wing drops into formation directly in front of you, Klein, leading the way towards the welcoming safety of the cruiser's docking bay. As you begin to make your approach, turbo laser turrets along the length of the cruiser begin to fire, pulsing wave after wave of red energy towards the ever-approaching Imperial forces. Gripping the controls tightly, you begin to see what Cortez had meant when he said to watch out for launching ships. A dozen fast-moving A-Wing fighters are flying directly from the hangar bay which you've been given landing clearance for. For a moment, you think that a collision is surely inevitable, but the pilots of Viper Squadron are a skilled lot, and before you know it, all 12 of the A-Wings are past you and away, flying cover against the TIE Fighter Assault. As carefully as you can, you set the close encounter down onto the plating of the Defiance's huge main hangar deck, waved into position by a member of the ship's ground crew. Across from you, you can see the pair of fighters which came to your rescue, Cortez in his Y-Wing and Vard in his X-Wing, also making their own landings on the far side of the deck. Against all odds, you've reached the safety of the Defiance, and it isn't long before the cruiser and its fleet jump to hyperspace, finally leaving the Avin system and their Imperial pursuers far behind. It's been about a week since the evacuation of Yavin 4, and the scattered rebel fleet has reformed in the Pantoran system, orbiting the large icy planet of Auto-Plutonia, homeworld of the Tals. The evacuation was a success, with most of the key Alliance personnel escaping the Avan system long before the Imperial fleet arrived in orbit over their jungle moon base. Some were not so lucky, with several late departing ships being caught by the tightening Imperial blockade, even despite the last minute intervention of the Cruiser Defiance in covering their escape. Thnok, after your mission on Nubia, successful despite the loss of your partner Kane, you and your droid GD-16KLC were instructed to rendezvous with the fleet here, and in the intervening days have heard all about the attack on the Death Star and the subsequent abandonment of Alliance Headquarters. While working on board your ship, you've just received a summons to one of the Defiance's briefing rooms. You weren't given any further information, but as you enter, you're greeted with the sight of two human pilots, both of whom you have not met before. They are both sat facing the front of the room as if they too were summoned to this briefing, and as you enter, they turn to see you for the first time. Hi. I'm Thnok. I'm sorry to hear that. No, it, that's my name. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that too. I'm, I'm Klein, Artren. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm Cortez. You're an Ugnaught? Yeah, what does it look like? Uh, I've never met one before. they seen the type to, you know, strip a droid down. Yeah, but never known to strip a few droids. Yeah. What, you, you want some parts? No, no, just... I got you up, man. You look, you look the, the type to, you know, freeze people in carbonite, I don't know. Cortez, you've known the guy 
two seconds and you're already talking shit. I'm just assuming. Just yeah, assuming. Sorry, the, the man. We don't we don't all freeze people in carbonite. That's a that's a that's a negative stereotype. It's very unhelpful actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, way to kill the mood, Cortez. Sorry, man. Uh, so at this point, Commander Braylon walks in, uh, accompanied by another officer, also wearing a commander's rank insignia on his uniform. Braylon takes his place at the front of the small briefing room and gives the three of you a nod. Ah, good. You're all here. This is Commander Cupolo, head of security here on the Defiance. Cupolo also greets you with a nod and says, Good morning, gentlemen. So you're aware, everything discussed in this briefing will be classified. It doesn't leave this room. Understand? Understood, sir. Understood. All right. All right, then. In the wake of the battles at Scarif and Yavin, the higher-ups have made the decision to reorganize Starfighter Command into smaller, more mobile squadrons. This will involve some reassignments, some changes to command structure, and also some changing of designations. I'll be remaining in command of Green Group, which is being restructured into three four-ship flights as Green Squadron, and the three of you are going to be a part of it. Now, Thnok, I know you haven't flown in a starfighter squadron before, but if your aptitude tests and even half the stories I've heard are to be believed, you're more than qualified. And frankly, we need you. Now, as you'll all be aware, we had to leave behind a large amount of equipment and supplies in the evacuation of the Yavin base. We've put out feelers to all of our contacts in the Outer Rim in a bid to secure replacements, but at the moment, until they come through, we're facing critical shortages. This does include starfighters, as I'm sure Klein will tell you. At this point, Cupolo leans forward. Now then, the reason the three of you have been brought together here today, rather than joining the rest of your squadron for flight training, is that you each possess certain skills that we hope will be useful in securing some replacement fighters as part of an imminent operation. Before we go any further with this briefing, you should understand that this will be a covert operation, with potential contact with Imperial forces. It will also be volunteers, so if any of you have any misgivings, now would be the time to say. He looks to each of you in turn, uh, waiting for your response before continuing. Oh man, I'm down to clown. Uh, I mean, I don't really know these guys. I, I met this guy for a week, and you've just put us with Ugnaught, so... I, I mean, I hope we make a good team. My name is Thnock. Sorry, Thnock. Cortez is a capable pilot. Oh, mm. thanks, man. Mm. Snock seems level-headed. Talking about the level of my head. <laughs> my underlying point, sir, is I think we can build up a trust fairly quickly. I'm game. Glad to hear it. You'll certainly need to trust each other on this mission. Now that you've all consented, I can share the details with you. We've received a coded message from an unknown source behind enemy lines in Imperial space. The message is only three lines of text, and it's a little light on details for my liking, but it caught our attention. Short and vague, like me, babe. <laughs> Braylon uh, raises an eyebrow at your comment, but doesn't say anything, and pressing a couple of buttons on his datapad, the room's lights dim as the holo projector in the centre of the room hums to life. The message in its entirety appears before you, and Cupolo wasn't exaggerating, it uh, really is just three lines of text. The message reads... Thracis 7, the Sleeping Fleet Cantina, ask for V. He allows the three of you a moment to take in the message before bringing up a second file. This uh, data burst was attached to the message. As the file opens, you see before you what looks like a section of a schematic. As you watch, the image rotates, providing a full three-dimensional view of the part in question, whatever it may be. 
Cupolo interjects at this point. This schematic fragment may not mean a lot to you chaps, but what you're looking at is the plans for an S-foil actuator on a T-65 X-Wing. Up until now, the Alliance has been working from third-hand copies of the original plans. As far as we can tell, this fragment has been taken from an original set. The resolution and detail is magnitudes higher than our current data. Were we to gain a full schematic, it would be a huge victory for Starfighter Command. I think you understand why we're taking this lead seriously. I thought the original T-65 plans were destroyed when the Empire wiped out the shipyards. Yes, it's true. Shortly after the first prototype X-Wings were built, the Empire took possession of Incom and shut them down. We were lucky that some sympathizers managed to smuggle one of the prototypes away from Frisia during the takeover, along with the plans we've been using up until this point. Our analysts are hoping that the fragment's apparent source, a first-generation set of plans, means that perhaps one of the original design team managed to escape from the Empire and hide away somewhere. We sent a hell of a message when we blew up the Death Star, one that leadership has been broadcasting to anyone who will listen. Perhaps this is what finally got our informant to reach out. Uh, what about this planet 3-7? Where is it? I'll forgive you for not having heard of it. There's a lot of technical data about the planet in the ship's archive that you'll have a chance to review before leaving. But the long and short of it is that Thracer 7's a small backwater world in the mid-rim. It's only really notable for being home to an Imperial decommissioning facility. I had to make a delivery that once I've been there. Braylon uh, looks a little surprised at this. Well then, uh, you'll know what to expect on the ground. Yeah, the uh, chili sucks there. Well, uh, you ever hear of or make it to this uh, sleeping fleet cantina while you're there? If you knew where you were going, it'd certainly make things easier for you. Maybe. I don't know. I was pretty wasted while I was there. Previous knowledge or not, your first objective upon arrival should be to try and ascertain the location of the cantina and perform some reconnaissance. From then on, it'll be up to you. The whole thing might turn out to be a wild panther chase. <laughs> We'll be inserting you onto Theresis 7 on a civilian transport ship, which will act as your base of operations while on the ground to try and avoid any suspicion from the Imperials. Any final questions before we bring this briefing to a close? None from me. Me either. I spend months behind enemy lines, Honored Mantel. This'll be nothing new. I'm behind this dude. Yeah. When do we leave? You will be leaving at 1900 hours from the portside hangar deck. You'll have until then to prepare yourselves and get your gear together. Oh yeah, but before I forget, those of you without your own will be issued a brand new astromech droid as part of the squadron reshuffle. Believe we have you to thank for this particular batch of droids, the knock. Oh yeah, that was me. A lot of good people died to bring us these droids. <laughs> well, here's hoping this mission doesn't end the same way. Right, if there's nothing else, I'll see you at 1900 on the hangar deck. May the force be with you. Sure thing. You can count on us, sir. Uh, Braylon and Cupolo exit the briefing room at this point, leaving the three of you alone with each other. Hey, little, so, little, little guy. Snock. 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 That's really hard to say. That is hard to say. Um, you say you've been to this planet before. Yeah, I had to... But yeah, I had to make a delivery there once. 
I don't remember much more about it other than, uh, you know, the chili sucked. Uh, I've gone on record with my feelings about their chili. How tough is it to get into the system? There is a lot of red tape trying to get it. Even as like an imperial uh, deliver, uh, delivery pilot, it was uh, yeah. They'll 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 ask for permits out the ass. Uh, so probably for the best, we're going with a civilian. But even then, I think it's, it's, they're not going to make it easy for us. We're going to have to go pretty deep undercover here, boys. So thinking passcodes for access to the planet. Yeah, that kind of thing. Or just, you know, any, anything that for a second might arouse suspicion could, uh, could blow up a whole spot. So, you know, just don't say anything unless you have to. Probably, whatever ship we take with us, we should probably uh, change the marker on it so it registers as something else. Uh, okay, as Braylon mentioned, uh, you guys do have the opportunity to look up more information about Thracer 7 on the Defiance's archive system if you so desire. I'll, I'll give a roll for that. Yeah. I, I'm a computer literate dude. Yeah? Yeah. Sure, okay, I guess make a use computer roll. Six. Okay. Six plus 13, so 19. 19. Yeah, um, you're uh, fairly used to using the computer systems here on the Defiance, and uh, seeing as how you have all the proper clearances that you need, you're able to quickly and easily pull up the information that you're looking for about Thracis 7. You find that the planet is mostly arid, with a large portion of the surface being taken up with salt flats. The Imperial Decommissioning Facility is located near to the equator on one of these large uh, dry expanses of land. Um, the planet isn't completely dry, however. There are a few small seas dotted here and there, and the majority of the planet's settlements can be found near to them. Uh, the planet's largest settlement, Regis City, is found on the shores of one of these seas, and it lies about 300 kilometers from the decommissioning facility itself. Uh, the planet's main civilian spaceport is also located in Regis City. Uh, Thnok, you would recall that on your previous trip to the planet, while in the employ of the Empire, you were dispatched directly to the facility, rather than going through the civilian spaceport, which is probably why you had to go through so much red tape upon landing. Uh, the Defiance's database doesn't have a lot of information about the facility itself, but it is marked as having its own small dedicated spaceport. What's the climate like on this planet? Is it Mo Mostly arid. It's... it's Dry for the most part, like I say, there's these small, like small seas, but yeah, it's kind of Arizona so, and Utah. There's not a lot of sort of sandy desert. It's more kind of just sort of flat, uh, dry expanses, basically. Right, fair enough. So that's that's kind of what it's like. Um, okay. The uh, the imperial presence on the planet, uh, according to current known intel, is actually marked as being fairly minimal um, outside of uh, the decommissioning facility itself. Um, is it mostly but, automated? Uh, no, the uh, facility does have living workers. Uh, armed forces-wise, there's a small garrison stationed there, but that's about it. Uh, for example, there's no big uh, Imperial fleet presence noted. Um, the planet being definitely in Imperial space and pretty much a backwater hasn't warranted so it. So it's not an Imperial hub? No, this is kind of... I mean, it's in Imperial territory, but it's not what you'd call a heavily fortified world uh, by any reckoning. It's uh, it's not exactly a staging ground or anything. However, uh, that said, being an Imperial space, it's uh, it's not particularly remote or distant from more heavily garrisoned worlds. So if any alarms are raised, we're going to have a very short amount of time to get the hell out of there. That could be a concern, uh, yeah. Um, uh, the other thing, the planet itself doesn't really support a very large population. Uh, there's probably about a million people uh, spread across the whole planet uh, mostly in the settlements uh, near to the near to the seas and such if we can get down there undetected we should be able to sneak up on the place fairly easily 
that other place we're supposed to go, the, what is it, the cantina? The, uh, the Sleeping Fleet Cantina. Yeah. Is that, that, is that in the vicinity of this decommissioning facility? Uh, you don't have that information. You know what planet to go to, and you know vaguely that there's a cantina there called Sleeping Fleet, and you've got to ask for V in that cantina. Right. But uh, that may be something to find out when you're down on the planet. Okay. Is there anything else you want to look up while you're... Uh, no, I don't think so. I think only us needing... In that case, gentlemen, grab what you need. So, satisfied that you have at least a basic idea of what you're heading into, and with a few hours to go until your departure from the Defiance, the three of you head off to spend that time however you each see fit. Cortez, you are heading along a corridor, a couple of decks above the Defiance's main hangar bay, on your way to the quarters you've been staying in for the past week, when you pass by the pilot's lounge. As you do, the door opens, and out steps your one-time wingman, Vard. Oh hey, Cortez! Oh, uh, hey, hey Vard, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good, hey look, check it out! He turns his shoulder to you, showing off the brand new green squadron patch on the arm of his uniform. I hear they're moving you into the squadron as well, eh? We're going to be flying together again. Oh, oh, oh yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, great, great job, bad. Like you talk a lot, but uh, you, when the, when it comes to action, you, you've done a good job. So, oh well, thanks, kid. And hey, speaking of that, look at this. He taps his rank insignia, which you now notice bears the pips denoting that he is a lieutenant. When you flew with him at Yavin, he was just a flight officer. Check it out, they gave me a promotion. I guess for shooting down those ties during the evacuation, huh? That's awesome, man. Uh, I mean, if anyone deserves it, it's you. Oh, thanks, kid. Thanks, kid. Hey, I promise I won't make you salute me or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 we're just we're kind of buddies. I wouldn't want to have to raise my arm and all that. You know, that's kind of an official thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, keep up the good work. I bet they make you a lieutenant as well pretty soon, huh? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Tell, let me tell you, you're the only guy I've seen pull a barrel roll in a Y wing. <laughs> So, uh, so hey, listen, word in the lounge is you and a couple of the others being sent off from some big hush-hush mission somewhere. That true? That is the word going around. I mean, it's it's kind of, I think it's kind of on, on the down low. So uh, if you can do your best uh, get, not to not to say anything. I get you, I get you. You, you can count on me. Uh, I, if I can. For sure. I mean, you know what they say about me? They say, Vard, he's a guy who can keep his mouth shut. I mean, did they? <laughs> just, just my little joke. I'll take your word for it, that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, though, good luck. I'll see you when you get back. You too, man. Lieutenant Astor to briefing room seven. Lieutenant Astor to briefing room seven. Oh, hey, that's me. Duty calls, huh? <laughs> anyway, kid, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Bye. <laughs> Smirking, he shakes your hand and heads off in the other direction, leaving you to continue on through the crowded corridors to your quarters. Shortly after the end of the briefing climb, you make your way down through the winding corridors of the Defiance and onto its main hangar deck. Around you, the hangar is alive with activity. Mechanics are hard at work on ships of all types, effecting repairs to those who were unlucky enough to suffer damage during the evacuation, but were lucky enough to walk away with their lives. 
resupply shuttles prepare for departure or await offloading, and fighter pilots prepare for patrol duty. The whine of engines and the sound of tools and equipment fills the air. Bypassing all of this frenzied activity, however, you seek out the small office which has been assigned to Commander Braylon as leader of Green Squadron. Commander Braylon. Klein, come in. Uh, what can I do for you? I'm sorry to intrude, sir. Um, it's about Anro. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, he's got a sister on Narshadar. Has anybody told her about Anro? I, uh, I wasn't aware he had any family. He never talked about them. No, Anro was pretty secretive, unless you were a really good friend of his. But uh, I'd appreciate it if someone could let, him, let her know. Well, that duty would usually fall to me as squadron commander, but uh, it sounds like you knew him much better than I did, Klein. I'd appreciate your input on this. True, but I've got a mission I'm going out on, and I don't know how feasible it's going to be for me to do it while I'm on duty. Well, I'm sure Anro's sister would prefer to hear some words from his friend. Hell, as the man whose command he died under, I'm sure I'm the last person she wants to hear from. I tell you what, Klein. You've still got a couple hours until your mission leaves. If you can get me something before then, I'll send it along with my own message. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you. I'll write a message and then make sure it gets to you before I leave. Stepping out of Braylon's office, you pause for a moment after the door closes behind you. All around you, the rebellion endures. But for your friend Sailor Anro, it ended at Yavin, along with his life. You begin to make your way through the maze of ships, equipment and personnel hard at work, wondering where to begin. You haven't ever had to write something like this before, especially not to someone that you've never met in person. Turning the corner around the side of an A-Wing fighter currently undergoing maintenance, you walk headlong into Duljay, neither of you having seen the other approach. Oh! Oh, Klein, forgive me, how, how clumsy of me. I, I'm, uh, I'm just heading back to the close encounter. Uh, how are you doing? My planet's gone. My family's gone. And I just lost my best friend. I'm great. And then I stole off. Oh, I, I'm sorry to, to hear that. You don't hear Dol J's confused apology as you walk away, heading for the nearest turbo lift, lost in thought once again over just what you could say to Anro's sister to try and express the hurt that you both must be feeling over his loss. One way or another, however, you are determined not to leave this task undone, upcoming mission or not. So, several hours later, your business on the Defiance all concluded, you all make your way to the port hangar deck in time for your departure. Across the deck you see Commanders Braylon and Cupolo standing at the foot of the boarding ramp of the now patched up and repaired freighter Close Encounter, talking with Captain Duljay, who both Klein and Cortez recognise. As he sees the three of you approach, he raises a hand in greeting with a sympathetic look to you, Klein. He seems relieved that he'll be transporting people that he's met before. Ah, greetings, my friends. So it is you I'm to be flying to. Well, uh, uh, flying to our destination. Is he asking us where we're taking? No, he's kind of he's he got the feeling that the destination's a bit secret, and he's not. Oh, okay. he's not blurting out. He's not blurting basis. him out on the hangar deck kind right, of thing. Okay. Yeah, Braylon uh, turns to you. Well, I guess this is it. Uh, with any luck, we'll see you all in a few days. 
Should things not go to plan, is there anything you'd like us to send on to your families or do on your behalf? Don't got no family. Delete my browsing history. <laughs> Give my regards to the princess. He looks confused for a second. Princess? You mean Princess Organa? Dude, you don't even know her. (laughs) From Alderaan. She definitely knows who you are. uh, Don't take this away from me, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Klein, I'll uh, I'll do my best. So, the three of you board the close encounter, along with Duljay. As you head up the ramp, Knock, you cast a glance to the far corner of the hangar, where your own small ship is berthed. It feels weird to be going on a mission without your droid companion, KLC, but you're sure you'll see her again soon. A couple of moments later, Duljay lifts the ship off of the deck on repulsor lift engines, rotating it to face out of the great open end of the bay towards the darkness of space. The three of you squeeze into the slightly cramped cockpit, one of the few parts of the ship with viewports, to get one final look at the Rebel fleet, and as the close encounter launches, you're treated to a breathtaking view of the massed Rebel ships orbiting the frozen world below of Auto-Plutonia. Keying the coordinates for Thracis into the ship's navi computer, Dol J pulls back on the hyperdrive control levers. Well, here we go. As the constellations outside are replaced with the bright, swirling maelstrom of hyperspace, the three of you leave the cockpit and head back to the ship's small, common area, each taking a seat on the couches. A few minutes pass, and then Dol J joins you from the cockpit. Well, we're all set for Thracis. I, I guess I can say the name of it now that we're off the Defiance, eh? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the journey should take just under nine hours. Uh, have you got a Dejeric table anywhere? Uh, Dejeric? Yes, we do! Uh, give me a moment. Uh, uh, as you can see, it can be a bit cramped in here. Moving to one side of the small room, he presses a button on the wall. One of the lower wall panels swings aside, and Dolje unfolds and locks into place a battered-looking but functional Dejaric board in front of the seat that you've taken, Cortez. I, uh, I warn you, I've been playing this game since I was a small boy. You won't win so easily, Mr. Cortez. So, with a nine-hour hyperspace journey in front of you, is there anything any of you want to do in that time? Uh, Thnok, I take it you just want to sleep through it all again? Yeah. Cortez? Uh, I'll play Dejaric for a bit. Maybe review the info on the planet. Klein? You guys have fun. I'm going to pass on the game. I've got some thinking to do. Alright then, so... The journey to Thracis passes without incident. It seems that the Close Encounters hyperdrive was repaired pretty well after the damage that it incurred in the escape from Yavin, and you find yourselves on the outskirts of the system. The Sun, Thracis, is a pretty typical main-sequence star, with several small rocky planets in its close proximity. The seventh, your destination, is the only one to lie in the habitable zone. As you all take your seats again in the cockpit, it's not long before you can see the planet itself, growing larger in the forward viewport. We are nearly there. Can one of you monitor the sensors? I don't want to get caught by surprise out here. I'll keep watch. Yeah, okay. Uh, Make a use computer check to see if you come up with anything. Two plus five, seven. Seven. Yeah, you don't see anything. Okay. Should I take a look at that for you? <laughs> you can rescan if you want. I'm not gonna stop I mean, it's never, you know. Yeah, you can I'll, give it a go. I'll give it a go. Yeah, give it a go. Not to undermine anything. You oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Of course not. No, we're all friends here. Yeah. Don't forget this. Uh, 12 plus 13. You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> 
25. 25. Yeah, you don't see anything either. Oh, fuck. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm just going to take another look at this bad boy. <laughs> Third time's the charm. 16. 16. Hey, you don't see anything either. All right, I guess there's nothing out there. We're all in agreement. <laughs> Down the road. We're all in agreement, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you all got a turn, but it, it only takes one person to work the sensors. Okay, <laughs> Just play the shit, asshole. <laughs> in fairness, I was the one who said I'd look. These guys just volunteered. I mean, it was afterwards. a team bonding exercise, I guess. Yeah, well, I'll never yeah. forget it. Yes, well, great work, all of you, I'm sure. So, you're very quickly beginning your approach to Thracer 7, and you can see it much more clearly now. Mostly cloudless, you begin to be able to pick out the small seas dotted around the landscape. It's not long before the ship's communications console begins to beep with an incoming transmission, and you hear the voice of a precise but bored-sounding Imperial Ground Controller. Approaching freighter, please identify, state your business and transmit landing clearance. Uh, yes, uh, just here to drop off your hot barrels of piss, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> there, there's a pause, and the and the, uh, the voice will be please. Uh, approaching freighter. Please repeat. Just uh, dropping off some uh, fresh fuel and nothing else. <laughs> at uh, at this point, Dolje pushes your hand away from the transmission button. What are you doing? We're meant to be discreet. I don't know, man. These Empire guys are freaks. They're into all sorts of <laughs> fucked up shit. You might blow our cover. He clears his throat before replying himself. <clears throat> uh, apologies, Ground Control. We are having some technical difficulties with our communications. We are the Transport Close Encounter, hauling coaxium and assorted coolants for civilian use. Transmitting landing clearance now. He presses a couple of keys on the console. There's a brief pause before the ground controller's voice comes through again. Close encounter. Clearance granted to land at Regis Spaceport. Do not deviate from your current course. Acknowledge ground control. Uh, Close encounter out. What I want to know is, why are Imperials so gullible? What, for falling for codes? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. You ever talked to a cop before? I mean, they're pretty dumb. (laughs) Yeah, but these guys aren't even cops. They're just, like, at a desk going... Give us your code. Code's fine. I don't know. I, I mean, this Who planet... pays them for this shit? This planet's got less than a million people on it. They just probably don't talk to that. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't know how to talk to people. They probably just take everything at face value. Okay, so dipping the ship's nose down, J begins the process of bringing the close encounter into the atmosphere of Thracis 7. You're going to be coming down on the night side of the planet, although it looks like you'll be arriving at Regis City Spaceport just shortly after the sun rises. I'm going to adjust our flight path a little. I'll bring us as close as I can to that Imperial facility as we make our final approach, just to see what we can see. I have to be careful though, we don't want to arouse any suspicion, especially after that mess with the ground control. A few minutes pass as the ship cuts deeper and deeper into the atmosphere. The sky on the horizon is beginning to get lighter as the dawn approaches. Alright, look to starboard. According to my charts, the facility should be visible somewhere that way. Squinting into the velvety darkness, you can just about make out the shapes of what you think must be mountains a little way off. You think that you might be able to see a small collection of lights at ground level, but you really can't make anything out properly. At that moment, however, the sun breaks over the horizon, revealing an incredible sight. 
what you first took to be mountains looming out of the night are the huge forms of row after row of Old Republic Venator Star Destroyers, unused since their replacement at the end of the Clone Wars. They've all been landed in neat columns across a wide flat plain, sitting eerily still and abandoned. As the sunlight plays out across the salt flat, you're able to make out more details of the facility. In huge numbers, and in the same neat rows, sits all kinds of Clone Wars era equipment. Row after row of outdated ARC-170 starfighters, clone transports, old-style Y-wing bombers, and countless other starships, considered now by the Empire obsolete and defunct. In the distance, you can make out what looks to be two or three Spherical Trade Federation starships, also landed on the salt flat. The entire site, to your eye, from this elevation, appears deserted, save for a single floodlit facility building in the centre of it all. Several storeys tall, with its own accompanying shuttle pad, it's the only sign that you're looking at a working facility rather than a junkyard. Shortly, the close encounter passes on, and visible up ahead are the lights of Regis City, sitting on the shores of a wide sea, a beacon of civilization in this otherwise flat, featureless landscape. It's a beach town. Yeah, a beach town. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode and this part of the story. Our next episode will be available, as usual, in two weeks' time on Thursday, the 21st of June. Uh, we hope you'll join us for it. In the meantime, you can get in contact with us on Twitter and Facebook, both of which we are at PretendWithDice. You can also email us at PretendingWithDice at Outlook.com. Uh, if you're an iTunes user, it'd be really great if you could leave us a rating and review. It's, uh, it all helps us to find new listeners, and we'd really love to hear what you all think of the podcast. Uh, if you're not an iTunes user, just, you know, Leave us a comment, send us a tweet. Um, we, we still want to hear from you all. Uh, you know, interacting with the community is a, a huge, um, a huge thing for us. We we love hearing from all of you guys. Um, so yeah, for now that's our show. I hope you all enjoyed it. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>